Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a sad old bloke stands in front of a PC pretending podcasting is cool. And a serious journalist with serious integrity, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 16th of November 1995, and it's all changed in the charts as FIFA 96 tops the console charts, Robson and Jerome are top of the pops with a double A side of I Believe and Up on the Roof, and we've got a new number one at the top of the box office with Crimson Tide. As you no doubt heard, my exo has appendicitis. Your name was at the top of the list. That's good to know, sir. It was a short list. There's trouble in Russia. So they called us. And we're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. The last time we hit this state of emergency was 32 and a half years ago during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So this is what it's all about, gentlemen. It's what we train for. Now, a number of times over the past four or five seasons, we've had this thing of like, oh, I should watch that film, or I'm going to try and watch that film before, you know, we finish with it as number one. I'm currently two-thirds of the way through Crimson Tide. By God, I'm glad I am. This film is so good. Denzel Washington and uh, Gene Hackman just going head to head and just firing off each other. The tension is, I mean, it's already pretty tense because it's kind of like nuclear missile launch. Will it, won't it happen? Basic plot is political turmoil, Russia, <laughs> topical, eh? Oh, hey, yeah. Um, 
but ultra-nationalists threatening to launch nuclear missiles at the United States and Japan, a nuclear submarine deployed with Gene Hackman as the captain and Denzel Washington as his XO. They get into a skirmish with a Russian submarine. They lose communications uh, while they are preparing to launch missiles, but they do not know if the last command, which was interrupted, is to launch or to stand down. And so we get mutiny. We get mutiny backwards and forwards. But right from their first scene, where Gene Hackman's character kind of chooses Denzel as his XO, the chemistry between these two is so good. Because you've got Denzel, who is, I guess, rising towards the peak of his career, if not there. And you've got Gene Hackman, who is kind of enjoying a degree of a renaissance, who is, you know, getting a few kind of like plump roles again. And they're just so good opposite each other. I don't know if I've ever seen it. And that was going to be my question to you. Like, are you watching it on a Blu-ray or DVD or something? Or is it on a streaming service? It's on a Blu-ray or a DVD or something. Uh, Okay. Sadly, not on Netflix, not not on Amazon Prime. It is rentable for £2.49 on Amazon Prime, though. Uh, Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll try and watch it that way before we do the next episode. I highly doubt it because I think we're going to record the next episode in the next couple of days. But uh, it sounds like the sort of film I'd actually really enjoy. Check check iPlayer and check 4 On Demand and ITV Player because you never know when these movies come around. Sometimes they end up on there as well. Yeah, it's a great, great movie. I've got a bunch more to say about it, but because we've got a second week, I will save some of it. But one thing I can say is that during the kind of pre-production and writing phase, they spent some time on an actual American nuclear submarine. They kind of like videotaped drills so they knew how to represent them. And originally the kind of plot was um, about a crew attempting to stop a fictional computer on the ship uh, from launching the missiles and starting World War Three. The Navy was told essentially that it would be the hunt for Red October meets 2001 a space odyssey, otherwise known as stealth, which happened a couple of decades later. Yeah, I was going to say that stand awfully familiar. But the Navy kind of went, no such computer exists, nor could it exist. And in fact, during the kind of time they spent on the submarine, they wanted them to prove that it couldn't exist. So kind of like send the Hollywood crew away with their tail between their legs. It kind of worked, but backfired on the Navy because they then came back and went, oh, actually, we'll do the same plot. It will just basically be the executive officer leading a mutiny against the commanding officer to present the missile launch. So the rogue computer is now the commanding officer. And at that point, the Navy went, no, we're not yeah. we're not helping you anymore because that looks bad about us. And to going to say, yeah, we've replaced a computer baddie with human error. Yeah, I mean, Gene Hackman, but also human error. You almost just want to have that conversation. It's like, you know, movies aren't real, right? Like, you know, that like it's all make-believe. Even though it didn't exist, it's amazing that they were just like, well, we're, we want to prove you wrong, as if they didn't think, well, hang on, they're going to come back with a different plot, which is probably going to be far more believable. And actually, a rogue commanding officer is pretty believable. It actually has precedence in the real world, not with the US Navy, but with a uh, Russian Navy and other, you know, it, it's a thing that happens. People what, go rogue. What they were looking for was for the Hollywood producers to come back and be like, the story is the Russians are baddies and the US are brilliant and the US win because they're brilliant. Yeah. But regardless of them not helping, it was well received. And uncredited script editions by one Quentin Tarantino. And watching this film with that knowledge, holy shit, <sighs> is it obvious. Like two sailors just get into a massive fight over which is the is the true Silver Surfer. I'm sorry, sir. It's just a difference of opinion that got out of hand. What about? 
It's really too silly to talk about, sir. I'd rather just forget about... I don't give a damn about what you'd rather forget about. Why were you two fighting? Well, I said that the Kirby Silver Surfer was the only real Silver Surfer. And that the Mobius Silver Surfer was shit. And Benefield's a big Mobius fan. Things got out of hand. I pushed him, he pushed me. I lost my head, sir. I'm sorry. Rivetti, you're a supervisor. You can get a commission like that. I know it, sir. You're 100% right. It's never happened again. It right? better not happen again. I see this kind of nonsense. I'm going to write you up. You understand? Do you understand? Yes, sir. You have to set an example, even in the face of stupidity. Now, everybody that reads comic books knows that Kirby Silver Surfer is the only true Silver Surfer. Now, am I right or wrong? You're right, sir. All right. Get out of here. Yes, sir. Oh, for fuck's sake. Like, that is... For <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake. Honestly. Like, I'm sure, in like in 1995, I would have thought that was really cool. And probably in 2004, I would have thought that was really cool. In 2022, fuck off. Like, that is shite writing. No, you know what? It actually, it, it serves its purpose, which is that something blew up out of something so minor is there to show the tension the ship and its crew are under in the face of World War Three. That is not my issue with it. Like, that can be resolved without arguing over who is the real Silver Surfer. Like, that is Quentin Tarantino just sort of, like, it's, you know, it was rife through all of his scripts. It's rife through all of Kevin Smith's scripts. Like, it was cool. It was was the style at the time for those indie writers. But, like, now it just seems so lame. Oh, I don't know. I, I maybe, maybe it's just because, like, I don't, I'm fairly certain I've seen this film before. I'm fairly certain I saw its network television premiere. But so much of it is unfamiliar to me that I'm like, Am I confusing it with another submarine movie? There were a lot of them. It was the style at the time. It just got a big laugh out of me. And I think it was meant to. I think it was put there oh, yeah, to act. As, you know, it, it was not put there to be a serious moment. But no. it's also just kind of, I love the idea of like, wow, this script's a bit dry. Can you get that nerdy kid over there? Yeah, the one staring at feet. Can you get him over and just get him to like give a little bit of a salt punch bay? up for this one scene? Yeah. Yeah, basically salt bay it up. As we're stuck with them for a while, let's leave Robson and Jerome for this week because, you know, there's only so much we can say about two lads from Soldier Soldier. Yeah, who aren't really singing their songs. But anyway, but enough of that. Like, that'll come up in a future week. Um, Quickly in the TV news, on November 12th, BBC Two aired the premiere of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. A strange and frightening force is at work in the small town community of Twin Peaks, the film premiere of David Lynch's prequel to his cult series in 40 minutes. Now, I bring that up because I'd imagine that a lot of people listening to this podcast, uh, maybe yourself included, will be like, oh, cool, Twin Peaks and that. Yeah. But I actually have never seen Twin Peaks or any of its spin-offs or any of its prequels or anything like that. When Netflix first came came out in the UK, Twin Peaks was on there, and I watched it. I, I, well, I watched like the first episode or so, and I really wanted to like watch more of it because it's a bit of a, a black hole of my sort of pop culture knowledge. But for whatever reason, I, just, I didn't get around to finishing it, and then it wasn't on Netflix, and I've just never gone back to finish it. It's, it's something that is on my list to like finish and actually watch, but as it currently stands, I've never seen it. I've not re I, I know a lot of people that have rewatched it. They rewatched it with the new series and so on and so forth, and they did a complete rewatch. I didn't just because I didn't have time at the time. That doesn't mean I don't want to. It's a very good show. It's as iconic as any of the other shows we've talked about. And I'm sure someone will go, oh, UCP Extra. You can't do Twin Peaks for a UCP Extra. 
Like, yeah, it, absolutely not. Like, I think you need to have everything within the full context of, of, of everything that's going on there, as opposed to just sort of picking out one episode at random or even doing one of the films or anything like that. Yeah, I'm not on board for that. It's, what's funny with Twin Peaks for me is that when I get around to watching it, there'll be so many times I'll be like, oh, that's what that's a parody of. Oh, that's what The Simpsons were making reference to. Oh, that's what they were making reference to. I mean, to be honest, you've probably actually got most of Twin Peaks just just by seeing all the various parodies because you're right it's everything's everything's been covered from i mean i think even like there was at least a, i think there was a twin peaks reference in the ducktales reboot and that's the thing as well most of the time when you see it i know oh that's a twin peaks reference despite the fact i have never seen twin peaks kind of in the same way you know like all those you mentioned 2001 earlier all those 2001 parodies I had seen all of those parodies and knew what those parodies were of before I had seen 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Just some good news and a quick update, Luke. It's on Disney+. Plus. Hey, it's on Disney+. Plus. Crimson Tide is on Disney+, Plus, everyone. So that's good news. That is good news. And genuinely, if you do have the chance to watch it or at least start watching it before we kind of record the next episode, I would heartily encourage you because, as I say, it's... I didn't know I needed at this moment in my life to see Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman go head to head. Apparently I did. Hello viewers. It seems that you can't open a newspaper, magazine or small door these days without hearing about the internet. Is it really an information superhighway or a sad cul-de-sac full of dull blokes trying to pretend sitting in front of your computer is cool? Well, today we're throwing off our humorous trousers in exchange for some serious journalistic ones as we feature an event called... Is the net full of cack? Do you know what, Ash? I don't know about you, but there's something about this little internet fad that I think it's not going to last. I think we should have an entire episode that's here to essentially say, let's make fun of it, and it's not as great as people think it is. In fairness, based on what's presented in this episode, I would have to agree, because today's special feature is called Is the Net Full of Cack? Which, in 1995, I would say yes. Yes, it is. In 2005, I would say, yes, yes, it is. In 2015, yes, yes, it is. And right up to date, 2022, yes, yes, it is. There's a lot of good as well, but there is also a huge amount of CAC. There is more CAC than there is good. Like the internet has provided you, it has revolutionized the way that we live our lives. That doesn't mean that there isn't a massive load of CAC on it, though. But watching this, I mean, we talk about how certain things are snapshots, how they're time capsules. Wow, I'd forgotten what the internet was like in 1995. This is the best time capsule and like moments in time of of like history. This is why we wanted to do this podcast is to, for like this. Like, I, I mean, up front, I didn't love this episode of Games Master. And I th- like this and Baby Rom and we get an episode of Future weeks time where cast members of eastenders put together a pc and the stuff with with lee and herring that i really i think has aged so poorly however i loved everything about this little segment and because not for the you know it being part of a tv show that's about games challenges but just for it being a snapshot in time of how early internet looked it's it's fascinating to see and also how computers coped with how the internet looked now i will say there are a number of times when we're seeing footage of the web pages these chaps are finding where it's very clearly being loaded off a local hard drive but they do actually admit that they do state that dominic states that later but he states it after we've already seen it so i'm just like "Mm, okay i'll give you a pass 
Because, yeah, there's no way any of these things are loading that quickly, even on your futuristic ISDN lines. Yeah, I mean, there's that moment when he's like, hey, you know, this trailer will take you about 45 minutes to download, but here, because we're doing it this way. Like, and even just that, being like, oh, yeah, you can download the new trailer for, or download a trailer for Judge Dredd, which is an old film. It's like, oh, how long will that take you? Well, you know, about 45 minutes. Can you imagine if you downloaded something today and it was like, this will take you 45 minutes to download three minutes worth of trailer? You'd think your internet was broken. Or you were trying to download from archive.org, which really does throttle a lot of their bandwidth. But they're also a free service, so what are you going to do? I'll tell you what, let's head on over to Games Master and find out what this actual challenge is. The test I've devised for this event is a simple one. Two contestants must nose around the net and find five things of interest before the end of the show. The person who comes up with the most interesting original or practical applications will walk away with the joystick. Surf's up. So two boffins have round about half an hour or however long it actually took in production of the show to get on the net via their fancy dancy ISDN line that are in the Games Master Studios or heaven, depending on how you want to see it. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I thought even in 1995, Games Master would be accessing the internet via the cloud. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> and trolling the net for us today, we have two blokes who know more than you, me, and that annoying ginger kid who lives down the road put together. We have Neil Ello from Internet Magazine and Gary Fenton from Net User. Neil, you're using a, an Apple Mac PowerBook instead of a PC. Why is that? Uh, mainly because I didn't want to have to lug a, a great big PC <laughs> in with me. And also, it's uh, set up for multimedia, really, so it's, it's easier. Uh-huh. And I also I have to ask you about your fine hair. Uh, I'm very envious of men who do have a lot of hair. How much conditioner do you need to use to get a hairstyle like that? Quite a lot, but it is compulsory on the internet. <laughs> all right, thanks, Neil. Uh, Gary, is the net all it's cracked up to be done, or is it just a lot of hype? No, it's not. It's, it's totally brilliant, and there's a lot more there than people believe. Okay, and uh, I believe, Gary, your father has the largest train set in the world. Yeah, and he's trying to sell it. If you're the only one that wants to oh, buy it... That's fantastic. You must be very proud. Oh, yeah. And it's also interesting because... As we meet our two competitors, Neil Ellow from Internet Magazine and Gary Fenton from NetUser, we also get kind of an early Mac versus PC feud because Gary is on your standard beige box PC of the time, running Windows 95 probably. It might even be an earlier version of that because the feature we get later on is about the launch of Windows 95, so it might be running on 3.1. Ah, uh, given... The, the recording schedule and when they must have gone off to America to film, I thought it could be either. Is but, it either or? Either or. But Neil, fancy dancy Neil, he doesn't just have a Mac. He's got an early power book. Having said that, though, I think when you get down to it later on and you're watching the video clips... They do look better on the PC than they do on the Mac. I do wonder is, did they need to bring their own computers with them? 100%, because that's what, that's what Neil basically says. Like, I didn't want to lug a massive PC with me. Yeah, I mean, and Gary has a car and Neil does not. That, that's it. Neil came on the tube. Gary came by car so he could just chuck it all in the back. And he says it's set up for multimedia so it's easier. Hmm... Mm, okay. I mean, d don't get me wrong. I'm a uh, multi-platform user. You're a Mac user. You're connecting to me right now via a Mac. Sure am. It's, this is not the best advert for Apple as a multimedia experience. Although we just see the end results. We don't see how long it takes them to get. 
to that point. Like if Gary had to download additional software or, you know, if he had to close a bunch of programs to get it to play at all. Or even, you know, how powerful Neil's PC is. They do have a slight conversation about this later on, about sort of like what level of Pentium you need in order to watch videos like this. But I would imagine that his is pretty top range because the video is super smooth on his one compared to the setup for multimedia Mac that Gary's got. But more importantly than the Mac versus PC war, Luke, it's time to talk about hair. Because <laughs> of course it is. It's Series 5. Dom is going bald. He wants to talk about hair. And in fairness, Neil does have a good head of hair. Yeah, I mean, it's the question of how much conditioner does he use, and it's quite a lot. But this kind of hair is compulsory on the internet. Can confirm having had this hair since the late 90s. My favourite part of this, though, was actually the out of nowhere point. I, you know, and I think there have been times where I've been a bit down on uh, Dom's random questions that he asks because he, he thinks it's funny. But this one genuinely made me laugh, which is when he turns to Gary and just says to him, oh, hey, your dad's got the largest train set in the world. And, but even better, Gary looks back at him and goes, yeah, and he's looking to sell it. So if you know anyone, that'd be great. I, I, to be honest, my biggest issue is I'm like, tell us more about this train set. Do we have to, is there a web page dedicated for it? Because maybe that's how Gary could have won this. If he'd just gone, yes, not only is it the biggest train set in the world, but here is a web page dedicated to it. I reckon that tips the scales. It would have been way more interesting in the NASA bollocks that he brings up later on. Hey. <laughs> Multiplayer arcade simulations like the Magic Edge system seen last week have been booming recently. Virtual World has just upgraded its Pacific Rim sites with Voyage to Atlantis. Employing hardware used by Soldier Boys, it allows up to eight players to play gaily around in an underwater virtual reality adventure. It's yet to be installed in Virtual World over here, but I'm not having you on. It will be soon. Now, spanning off from last week's episode, well, you had a, a you know a, a great deal of research about how Magic Edge fell apart just a mere months after it opened. Dom's opening line here where he's like, the industry is booming. <laughs> I wrote my nose here, booming, eh? Yes, booming as in <laughs> imploding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this is about Virtual World LLC, who I think we've seen before. It was where Dom went on uh, one of the collaborative kind of, we we've seen them before. We did, yeah. We saw it in Series 4. Um, and in fact, I think this is more or less the exact same thing. They've just rebadged it to this Voyage to Atlantis. Yeah, because they said they're, they're, they're upgrading their Pacific Rim installations. No, not that Pacific Rim. It's not that cool. Uh, with an Atlantis adventure. Dom insists he's not having us on, but this adventure never actually came out. In America or the UK? At all. Wow, okay. So the idea was that virtual world explorers would get to explore the remains of Atlantis recently discovered off the African coast. And yeah, it's it, there's a cooperative mode, much like before. It's all about working together. And it never made it past alpha. Like what we're seeing here is early alpha tests. It was never installed. It was never deployed. It never actually reached a finished product state, as best as I can tell. This wee gadget is Silicon View, a handheld video player in development by NEC. Sound and images are stored on a small memory card, which can only hold about four minutes of video just now, but NEC swear blind it will soon hold up to an hour. It's the size of a credit card. It has no moving parts. And you can even use it if you have a rampant facial hair, like that bloke lurking at the back. Our second news item is again one of those brilliant snapshots of 90s technology. This is clearly like, you know, footage they've been given to by Japan as well or from Japan based on, you know, the shot that we get at the end of this and the lad with rampant hair. It's one of those bits of technology that 
I mean, maybe even at the time, but certainly now you would look at it and be like, well, what's the point? Because at the moment, this memory card can only hold four minutes of video. So what you're looking at is just like, it's technology for the sake of having this technology or like owning this technology for the sake of owning it, owning the latest gadget. But really, it serves very little purpose. And, and I love it for that. Because, yeah, it's only four minutes worth of video. Having said that, like, you know, it's like, wow, like four minutes worth of video at the touch of a button. Like you can just press pause and play and this and the other. And that's like really cool. But at the same time, it's, it's, it reminds me of when I first got my, my first MP3 player that I got could hold 11 songs. You know, and I was like, at the time, I was like, whoa, 11 whole songs. And I get to choose what those 11 songs are. But, you know, and then I look back and I'll be like, honestly, what was the point? I may as well have just stuck with the CD player that I had in my, because I could just play the CD that I had. I mean, how can you choose just 11 Limp Biscuit songs, Luke? It was tough. I guess I could just do a random shuffle of things. But even then, I'm like, I could just do this on a CD and I'd probably get 16, maybe even 20 songs onto a CD. So this technology isn't as great as it probably should be at this point. No. And also, the cost is the biggest factor here. It's not something that Dom really goes into, but... The unit we're seeing demoed here uses MPEG compression, so the same stuff that was being used in video CDs and the same stuff that would later go on to be used more widely uh, as MPEG-2 in DVDs, so on and so forth. The compression and the quality used meant they needed 10 megabytes of memory for one minute of video footage. So this four-minute video card was 40 megabytes. Computer memory at the time cost £35 per megabyte. So... A minute's worth of video on this device would cost £300. If you wanted an hour of video footage, that would have cost £20,000. It's therefore to no surprise that the only memory cards that existed at the time were 40 megabyte ones. Which again sort of comes back to that point I was making, which is that this is owning technology, owning a gadget for the sake of owning a gadget. Like there would have been guys and girls that would have bought this thing to show off to their friends but ultimately it would have just sort of sat there doing nothing i mean how many times can you play the music video to mbop and impress people that's exactly it there's only so many things you can like download a bjork video and load it onto your memory card and show it off to your friends but yeah it is like this is a dust collector if ever there was one but it's groundbreaking in the it is a sign of things to come because here we are, 1995. We are not that far away from MP3s. We are not that far away from portable MP3 players. We are not that far away from the iPod. And with the iPod came the evolution of the iPod. And before long, the iPod could also do video. And then you had other video jukeboxes and then you had smartphones. It's such a concentrated space of time. And I don't think we ever truly appreciate how quickly things like storage capacity increased. I mean, I'm a few years away from building my first computer at this point in the 90s. And when I built that computer, it had eight gigabytes of hard drive space. And now you think, like, I could pick up a hard drive, got a hard drive on my desk. That's like two terabytes. The one underneath it is five. Exactly. It's when people say that the technology that you have in your phone is probably the same level of technology that powered the space shuttle that took Neil Armstrong to the moon is absolutely 
insane when you think about it. And it also gets me when people, and this is soapboxing a bit, so you'll excuse me, is people complaining just like, oh, I don't see as big a leap with the next generation of gaming consoles. And I'm just like, we can't keep leaping forward at the same rate we did in the past. If you look at where we came in gaming between 1990 and the year 2000, we went from bleep bloop to borderline realistic characters and motion capture. Walt Disney Pictures invites you into a world where toys come to life. Red alert! Andy is coming upstairs! Andy's coming, everybody! Back to your places! Hurry! Just you wait here! Out of my way! Toy Story is the world's first entirely computer-generated movie. The plot revolves around two toys, Woody, voiced by nice guy Tom Hanks. Draw! Oh! Got me again! And Buzz Lightyear, voiced by top lad Tim Allen, and the crazy mishaps that befall them when they accidentally stray into the real world. The so-called real world is also computer-generated, and with detail like this, it's no wonder it took animators three and a half years to complete without eating their tea. Toy Story is released in the States next week and opens here in March. I'll, I'll tell this story now, rather than save it when we get to episode zero of series six, but uh, I cannot tell you how excited i was for toy story i I was 11 years old when this film came out because it comes out in march of 96 i was so so excited for this because shows like games master shows like bad influence all of these sorts of shows were like on about toy story and showing clips of the movies and how it was groundbreaking and this and the other and i was so so excited to see it and my brother my brother's birthday is in march and i was told by my mum that if i am kind to my brother and if i'm nice to my brother for a whole week he would take me to go and see toy story a week a week i had to be like a whole week and it was a case of he was always going to take me to see toy story because my brother's six years older than i am so he was going to take me and we were going to go without my parents he was going to take me to go and see the movie. But like, you know, I had to be nice to him for a whole week. So for a whole week, I made him breakfast in bed and I made him cups of tea so that he could have before he went off to school. And at the end of that week, it was like, you've done enough. Your brother's going to take you to go see Toy Story. And we went on a Saturday and it was fucking brilliant. And I had the best time. And I was obsessed with this movie. I didn't get the game for the Mega Drive. But when this came out on video, because I've probably got this on VHS for Christmas 96, and I must have worn that VHS out because I loved this movie. I I also loved this movie. I mean, obviously, I was a few years older for you, as you as we've established, there is an age gap. But I love this movie. I love this movie because I already knew who Pixar were. I already knew about Tin Toy. I'd seen it on TV shows we won't go into because of who hosted them. But there'd been features on Pixar, features on what they were doing. And now here we were. It was a full-length computer-animated movie. And the thing that strikes me the most is how good it still looks. It is like, yeah, it, it, I, it still looks good. Like, when you get to Toy Story 2, you can see the leap that they have made. And it, therefore, it does make Toy Story 1 almost look a little bit dated. Like, there's a real glassy-eyed look to everyone. But I think that's almost the benefit of them picking toys, because that kind of, like, gets you gets away with doing, like, getting away with that glassy-eyed stare. But yeah, like, the eyes are the thing that gives away the data of this movie. 
but apart from that like it really holds up the scene at the end with like the dog chasing them and the the moving truck and everything it's so good yeah it it says a lot that you know while it did have a fairly hefty budget being as it was this first fully like computer animated feature global box office of 373 million i mean bizarrely still only the second highest grossing film of 1995 but also it was a to be blunt a kid's movie you want to talk about a film that put a studio on a map and that studio is still making groundbreaking stuff to this day it is so awesome to see that appear in our timeline and reach that point in our timeline and yeah man like the work that pixar have done over the years is absolutely sublime also you want to talk about a snapshot in time statement dominic here with saying although you want to talk about a snapshot in time dominic here saying starring nice guy tom hanks and top lad tim allen yeah i know i mean like home improvement i guess people did like home improvement and it wasn't until later on we found out that he's a total twat yeah, although still gave us Galaxy Quest, so even a fucked rock is right twice a day. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back. We have Neil Elol and Gary Fenton. They're hoping to find five interesting things each on the internet before the end of the show. Neil, what have you come up with so far? Uh, so far, the uh, trailers for Judge Dredd oh, at yeah. uh, Buena Vista in the US. I just downloaded one of those. It's a rather large movie, but uh, it's usually quite worth it when you've downloaded them. You've got uh, the time. How, how long does it take you to download one of those? It could take you 45 minutes to an hour if you're dialing from home. But uh, obviously it's a bit faster because we have Vice from here. Now, when we come back to our challenge here with Neil uh, showing off the trailer for Judge Dredd, which, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it'll take about 45 minutes to download. And I'm pretty sure is running at one frame a second. I think I counted three. <laughs> it is like, I, I initially wrote in my notes, that's about five frames a second. And then I watched the fact I was like, now that's probably one frame a second <laughs> like it is juddery 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 but having said that like at the time i've been like whoa watching a trailer at home because even in a few years time that's not a standard thing i remember downloading the trailer for uh phantom menace and in particular downloading the trailer for uh attack of the clones and being fooled by such because i, well, I actually downloaded it was a fan made trailer and not really realizing it, it was that until like you know you got to the end you're like hang on that's just Braveheart and they've put and they've put lightsabers on the swords and stuff um but yeah like I so this isn't something that becomes a standard for a while like it's you know it's mad to think now when you can just watch any old trailer you want on YouTube and it's loaded up there instantly for you there was a period of time where the only time to the only place you could watch a trailer was in the cinema. Yeah, I mean, we're approaching the period of time where I would start going to the internet cafe in Cheltenham. That had a dual ISDN line, so downloading trailers there, that was something that could happen. Also, early days of downloading MP3s from the internet. I had a zip drive. There's a piece of technology that stays stuck in the 90s and belongs there. But I had a zip drive and 100 meg on each disc, Luke. That was a lot of poorly encoded MP3s, let me tell you. <laughs> but it's, it's cool that we get to talk a little bit about Judge Dredd here because we didn't actually get to talk about it. We thought we would do. Like I remember you and I having this conversation, I think back in Series 4, where there was a preview for Judge Dredd. And we we're like, well, we'll hold off on our Judge Dredd chat because we'll get it as a number one movie at the box office. And we'll talk about that in our episode zero run before Series 5. And lo and behold, it did not get to the number one position of the box office. We've never been able to talk about it. I think that Judge Dredd, the Stallone Judge Dredd, is a perfectly serviceable sci-fi movie that looks pretty damn good. It's got some beautiful practical sets, some beautiful practical model effects, a great animatronic in the ABC Warrior, some good makeup as well. It's a fucking terrible Judge Dredd movie, though. 
that's it, right? Like, it's not a good Judge Dredd movie. But I think it's a perfectly fine, almost Demolition Man 2. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption for you. know, it's Stephen D'Souza writing it, and he came on after a litany of writers tried on this. And, like, you know, D'Souza essentially was that guy. He was the big action writer of the 80s. He then tried his hand at directing with Street Fighter, but oftentimes he was the guy that producers went to, and they were like, we cannot get a script written for this give it to D'Souza because he knows exactly what we want to read and will give us the the, the film that we want. Um, that's how we got through, you know, the, the fucking Flintstones. But it is like, it's fascinating. I've, I mentioned a podcast um, when we were talked about it briefly in series four, uh, Best Movies Never Made, which is a very mm. interesting podcast. Um, they're doing a really, really good run on Batman scripts at the yeah, moment. I'm enjoying oh, that. Dude, the first one of that was so good. Like running through the script for Batman versus Godzilla is so fucking interesting. How is that not an animated movie by this point? They're optioning everything else to be an animated Batman movie. They've done 66 sequels. Let's have let's have Batman versus Godzilla. Yeah, you're right. Like this was the version of Judge Dredd that we got was the the Hollywood version of it. But it's interesting how that version came to be because like Peter Briggs, who was on Best Movies Never Made, just you know was talking about his Judge Dredd script that he nearly got done, and he's got a very very interesting you know history within Hollywood. I, as the episode that I would recommend that people go and check out of Best Movies uh, Never Made, because his story with Judge Dredd is fascinating. Like he was brought on by Lloyd Levin and oh, you know Lloyd Levin and Larry Gordon, who would go on to do Tomb Raider, and who were doing a co-production with Ed Pressman who was actually the producer on Master of the Universe and Street Fighter, some you know, video game connections there. And there was a fight between all the producers and Briggs was given an option. Either finally do this Judge Dredd script. Like he's been a Judge Dredd fan his entire life. He's a British kid. So he like grew up in the, you know, when he grew up and he was like, oh my God, I can write a Judge Dredd script. I couldn't get AVP done. I couldn't get the tick done. I couldn't get Starship Troopers done. I could get Judge Dredd done. Or go with Levin and Gordon on a blind three-picture deal. And in the end, he went with the Judge, the Judge Dredd option, and he has said it's his biggest regret because they fucked him over royally. At that point, it was with Schwarzenegger as Judge Dredd and Tony Scott was directing. And what Briggs had pitched was doing Judge Death. It was essentially an adaptation of Judge Death and Judge Death Lives. He kind of wanted to smush the two together. Um... And he basically, he said in interviews that the reason why he wanted to do Judge Death is because that's like doing the Joker in Batman 89. It's the strongest villain. So you want to do that right from the outset. And, you know, Tony Scott was like, yeah, we're doing that. And there was a producer on there, Charlie Lippincott, who was also like, yeah, absolutely. We're doing Judge Death. That's the one that we want to do. But when it came down to it, like all of a sudden, another writer came on board and he was like, oh, why is there another writer also doing this? And they were like, well, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to have competing scripts for this. And then Arnold is going to pick the one that he thinks is the best script. And who was the other writer? Well, it was only William Washer, the writer of Terminator 2. Gee, I wonder which script Arnold's going to prefer. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, I don't know if I could say. I mean, it's too <laughs> close to call. All, it's almost, you're right, Ash, it's almost too close to call. But the the fucking thing is like the thing is that like really screwed him over is that charlie lippincott the producer never wanted to do judge death he wanted to do the return of rico and when you know he kept pushing for being like no we said we we're going to do judge death he would basically turned to Briggs and was like i'm going to do everything in my power to make sure your script is your script fails 
and it was so much stress on Briggs that he nearly had a heart attack. He was actually rushed to hospital after these arguments he was having with him on the phone. And in the end, they did go with the Return of Rico storyline, and it became the film that he did. And he has been told by a producer that they wish they had done a Judge Death movie instead, because they wanted to do Judge Death for the sequel, but you have to have a movie that works first in order to get that sequel. And what they ended up with was a cinematic flop. I, I've not read his script, so I can't possibly comment, but I do feel that doing Judge Death as a first movie is... I think that's too much. I mean, he says at the time, I don't think it would have been possible, even with the CG that they had at the time, to really do a Judge Death story justice would have taken quite a bit of visual effects. And I don't know if they would have had the budget or the means to do it at that point. I think there's also something about the law. You need the universe... Ex- I mean, put it way, it would have gone down great guns with the 2000 AD fans. I'd have probably 100%. loved it. I'd have loved it, yeah. But I mean, your casual audience? Yeah, it's like leaping... I don't know, doing a Spider-Man movie and going straight to Venom. Or yeah, that's, straight, that's a or really straight, good comparison. Or, or, doing, or doing a Spider-Man movie and starting with the Clone Saga. Although no one would like a Clone Saga movie, but it's basically, it's like, you start too far in, you're going to alienate the casuals. And at the end of the day, the casuals will not make a box office success. It's actually, um, Doctor Who is the perfect example. If you look at the first couple of seasons of Doctor Who when it came back in 2005, they did a lot to re-establish what are Daleks, what is the Doctor, who is the Doctor, what are Time Lords. They introduced it through the eyes of the Companion. And in fact, and I say this as a fan, the more into the lore they got, some of it they brought in too quickly and they lost fa- they lost casual viewers as a result. And now we end up in a place where there is a huge amount of lore around Doctor Who again, almost as much as there was by the end of the 80s, and audience figures are low. And there's a lot of other factors that can be accounted for that. Please don't send me emails. But <laughs> Please send him emails. Don't. Send Luke emails. <laughs> Luke would love to know more about Doctor Who. I genuinely do like hearing people talk about Doctor Who and their issues with it. Like My wife is a Doctor Who fan, and I will genuinely ask her about like her thoughts on the new series and stuff that come out, because I'm fascinated to hear what Doctor Who fans think of current day Who. One of my really good friends, Dan, is a massive Doctor Who nerd, and I will... Absolutely. I love just chatting with him about it, even though I've never seen a single episode. I still remember the live show and just going, what are you going to do? Nerd me to death. And I'm like, oh, dude, <laughs> you have no idea. Um, but but yeah, it's essentially you go too, you go too hard, too fast. You're going to lose the casuals. And people want to know what's going to happen with this new series of Doctor Who with Russell T. Davis coming back. And I'm like, well, if he's smart, whatever he does regarding casting, whatever he does regarding where the Doctor goes next, he will take it back to the point where it will alienate some hardcore fans, sure, but it will attract the casual audience again. He will make Doctor Who a successful, like, premiere franchise again for the BBC and for HBO. Like, I mean, for Charlie Lippincott, like, you know, he did screw over Peter Briggs massively so. And oh, he yeah, just and, and he was, you know, and he was really bad about it. But like, just to sort of echo the point you were making, what is an easier sell to a casual audience? Judge Death or Judge Dredd's uh, brother and he's a baddie like that is such an easier sell yeah exactly it you know yeah that, that's it um and as i said it's not a bad movie it's just not a great judge dread movie the 2012 the one was, movie oh yes God, yeah. so i was thinking about this when i was doing my research do you remember when they announced the series that was going to be like spun off from the mega city one stories or something along those lines whatever happened to that 
Well, there's a problem where you created a movie that was actually pretty good to the original comic and the original lore, and it was critically very successful. And box office, it did okay, but was it truly accessible? The fact that we've not seen anything since would indicate not accessible enough. And it's a shame because Carl Urban was a great choice. The setting was great. It was kind of, you know, it, it was very much the raid kind of, you know, it wasn't the most original story, but it did a great job of setting up who Dredd was and what he was. And he never took his helmet off, which is like, I, I love that. Like 2080 fans cannot believe they had Stallone take their helmets off. So of course they had Stallone take the helmet. He sliced alone. Like get like, you know, they, they Ed Pressman always said of Schwarzenegger, like with the, you know, the Briggs one, it was like, we're paying him $6 million to be in this movie. He's taking his fucking helmet off. If he doesn't take his helmet off, Luke, how are you going to see him act? How can you, how will you know it's him? <laughs> no, believe me, you'd know. <laughs> yeah. Like Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity. He's just like, anytime my face is not on screen, I am not there. Okay, uh, Gary, what about you? What have you come up with so far? The NASA shuttle homepage. That sounds fascinating, Gary. Let's have a peep. Okay, everything you want to know about the space shuttle in graphic detail. Here's a link to the space station that they're building. Okay, this is a plan of it. You can click on anything that tells you what each pod does on the space station. And here we've got a movie file. For people who like watching movies of space shows. Well, this is the space station, a computer graphic image of it. Uh-huh. Just playing there. It's all very smooth and everything, isn't it? It is, yeah. How powerful does your PC need to be to be able to run it that smoothly? Um, you're looking at sort of low-end Pentiums. So a lot of money involved. Yeah. Now, I was a bit uh, mean about this earlier. Like, this is... This is cool if you're into it, right? It's cool if you... I mean, the thing is, I love space. Space! Space! It, yeah. Space! I, I, I love space. I love NASA. Um, uh, when myself and Sol were in Los Angeles, we uh, we went and we saw and we stood underneath one of the space shuttles and it was an immensely emotional... I cried because it's like this thing has like been somewhere that I can literally only dream of going. Oh, yeah. And I, I had the same when I actually got to very, very sneakily while no one was looking. Uh, when I was in Washington, D.C., I got to very sneakily touch the capsule, the return capsule, just just, just lightly brushed against it while no one was looking because there are barriers around <laughs> it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be back here. Fuck it. If I get thrown out, I get thrown out. And I did just run a single finger along the edge of it. And I'm like, I have now touched something that is part of history and that's been to space. It's been under the moon. Like that, that stuff is like, it's incredible, right? Um, last year's theme for Great British Menu was science and innovation. And the first guest that they had on there, the first guest judge they had was the first um, British astronaut into outer space. And I just kept saying to my wife while we were watching it, she's been to space. Space. Like actual space. That is something that we will probably never, ever do. And it's the fucking coolest thing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've met Chris Hadfield. How cool is that, dude? <laughs> yeah. like, like he's, he's not just been to space. He sung a song in space, Luke. <laughs> he sang Space Oddity in space. I was doing a Patreon podcast for my day job uh, last week. And my co-host there was talking about, like, if you had the option of doing the Virgin Galactic trip into space would you do it like if money was no option would you do it and 100 i would i mean i don't know would you take it would you do it i would like every single part of the inner schoolboy and everything like that you know the inner chart i absolutely would i have an issue with how much of a toy you know a plaything of the rich and famous it currently is i know the end goal is yeah. to make space travel accessible but 
Yeah. But I mean, just purely from an experience point of view, absolutely. Would I go on the Vomit Comet? No. But would I go on like on an actual shuttle that took you up that far or, you know, a, a space plane or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, probably wouldn't I, go on the Bezos mobile, though. I, I get a bit tetchy during like takeoff of most regular flights. So I don't know what I'd be like going into actual space. But yeah, like, you, you know, the, it being a toy for the rich and famous is it's almost like at this point, it's four minutes worth of video on a device. Whereas like what we're waiting for is to have an like everyone has an iPhone that's got you know every movie on the sun under it. But whilst I think both you and I, okay, you were a bit harsh. I wasn't. But like, I mean, this stuff is cool because space space dom is like eh? <laughs> dom is not asked about this at all i mean in fairness he wasn't that asked about the judge dread because he was like well that's an old film and it's like oh, okay well i've got to try harder here but gary's like look i've got space and dom's like yeah have you has it got tits because that's the that's the way to get dom's attention um, tits and football definitely <laughs> tits and football but it also, I mean, it also has information on the space station, which at that point was still being built. I mean, technically, it kind of still is, but it was st- still very much being built at that point. And you can click on bits of it. You can see movies. But Luke, you need a pretty powerful PC to watch these movies, at least a Pentium. That's exactly it, right? But you know what? We need to have an actual gaming challenge on this Gaming Challenge TV show. So what are we playing, Games Master? I like to get dirty once in a while. And what better way to do it than on the classic arcade racer, Sega Rally. My contestants will be playing the two-player version of the game, which means they'll be swapping between their viewpoints to keep abreast of the action. The race will be conducted over two laps, with plenty of puddles, gravel, and mud to keep things interesting. As usual, the player first across the line gets the joystick. Gentlemen, start your engines. Let's get dirty on Sega Rally. We've got two laps with plenty of puddles and plenty of mud, but not puddle of mud. This is a wickedly fun challenge because this is the proper massive arcade two-seater thing. I was so ready for this. And actually, this I'm much more into this than had it been like a Sega Saturn version. Yeah, because I find it, just to skip ahead to where we are with the challenge, I find it odd we don't actually see more of the cabinet. We spend a lot more time just like seeing the screens flicking backwards and forwards of the action and i suspect the reason for it is is the cabinet is so big they couldn't work out a good place to put the cameraman they couldn't quite get an over the shoulder which is what you'd really want yeah they just about managed it with virtuous striker last week but not this one but yeah this is sega rally championship 1994 so almost a year old at this point but it's a model 2 board same that you would be seeing like powering daytona virtual fighter 2 and others and whilst we're seeing the arcade version here the sega saturn version is not that far behind although there are multiple iterations of the sega saturn version because it was rushed for america and there were bugs in place that were not present when it was released in japan and europe so weird that something like sega rally came out in america before Japan. For a second there, I thought you were going to say, so weird that Sega would release a game that's got bugs in it. Other than bug. (laughs) Yeah. But it's considered like one of the milestones in racing games because not only did it spawn its own sequels, but it inspired others. Colin McRae Rally would not exist without Sega Rally Championship. Oh, and I loved Colin McRae Rally on the PlayStation, man. 
car. I, I mean, I still love Sega Rally Championship, even the Saturn version, which isn't the best. The, the Saturn version is kind of odd because it's not a conversion. It's a complete recode. It's literally kind of, you know, here's a picture of the arcade version. Make it look like that. There was a lot of reverse engineering that went on to get it to work. But yeah, you see this in an arcade even now. It's still a guaranteed good time. I had this at my local arcade. Uh, I've mentioned before that my local arcade, which is actually my bowling alley, was a Sega branded arcade, which is why I got to play Sega Sonic, the arcade game. And this was there. And I'm not the biggest racing, like realistic racing car fan, I should say. Like Mario Kart, I'm all in for. Wipeout, I'm all in for. Colin McRae is about the, I, I, I couldn't go on with Gran Turismo. That was, you know, almost too realistic for me. Maybe I'm Dave Perry in all of this. But Sega Rally was a game that, I every time we went to that arcade, I had to play because I just, especially when you're playing it co-op or you know you're playing against another player, it's so much fun. It's really, really good arcade racing action. And when I was watching these two lads playing this and feeling the bouncing around you, that's a bit when they go over like the two crests Mm. and you can see the car like bouncing around and stuff. It really transported me back to that arcade and feeling almost feeling it moving over. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Watching this and doing the notes, it made me make sure I've got my Saturn pads out so I can get the Saturn spinning back up and actually uh, throw this game on and get some get some time in, even though it's not as good as the arcade and it's not quite the same experience i'm still looking forward to it and here to play sega rally today two of the finest and most physically attractive british blokes ever to sit in a motor johnny herbert and mark blundell okay now mark i know you've both had a brief practice on the game how does it handle compared to a real car pretty good it's pretty good it's quite uh, realistic any problems you envisage yeah johnny because <laughs> I have to say, me and the commentators, we like to have a little bit of bet, just a couple of smarties, you know, either side. It's pretty 50 50 easy, even money just now. Do you think you can take Johnny? I'm sure I can take him. <laughs> now, Johnny, um, you've been on Games Master before. You were very successful last time. Is that going to give you the edge over Mark, do you think? Um, I hope so, yeah. I think after our little, little battle then, I think it's going to be interesting. It's not, you're almost playing at home. Actually. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Exactly. And the other thing is, I was thinking, Johnny, you're obviously you're a fantastic looking bloke. I mean, Mark is quite good looking as an You're a fantastic looking bloke. And I was thinking, it's a shame to hide that behind a helmet most of the time. Do you think they should have a rule that the good looking Formula One drivers don't wear a helmet? I think so. I think it would be fair, wouldn't it? I, I don't know. I'm not that good looking. <laughs> Obviously not. And we've got a returning celebrity for this one, which they make reference to. Johnny Herbert, back from Series 2, here to take on another racing challenge. And he's joined by Mark Blondell. He was a Formula 1 racing driver, but also raced sports cars. He won the 24-hour Le Mans Challenge in 1992. You talk about your endurance races. Bloody hell. I think these two are really, really good together. Like, they've got some good banter here you know mark's like oh you know i'm sure i can beat him but dom's like what's your biggest challenge gonna be and he's like johnny which i thought was a really good answer but like later on when they're talking about the shirts that they're wearing i think they're really really good on this i mean both of them also went on to like have uh pundit careers uh blundell went with itv as a formula one presenter right up until uh they lost the tv rights to the bbc amazingly actually returned to racing in 2019 oh wow yeah driving in the quick fit british touring car championship for the trade price cars team it doesn't feel quite as illustrious as le mans and and, um, and Formula One, but but there you go. It, it really is the problem with naming tournaments after brand names. 
Yeah, it's the same with some stadiums. Like some stadiums don't sound cool when you name it after a brand name. Oh god, what's the uh, what's the one American stadium named after stationary company? Isn't there like kind of like an Office Depot stadium or something? There is. There's something like that. I cannot think what it is. WWE have been there as well. It's like we got money. We should pay for a stadium. It's like all oh, rebrand first, <laughs> or just name it something cool. Like I know the point of having a stadium is so you can have your name on that stadium, but give it a cool name at least. Yeah. Can you imagine if Hermes? or whatever they're called nowadays, had a stadium. None of the acts would arrive on time. But amazingly, like, that's the end of the first half of this episode. They go to the ad break after this. It was only eight minutes worth of actual content. I had exactly the same note of, is this episode short? Yeah, but like when you get to the end of it, there's no credits for this episode. There's just one flashcard that says producer Johnny Finch. Because the second half runs quite long. I'm trying to work out, is there something else that happened on Channel 4 at that time that meant they needed to put the ad break at this point? Or was it just trying to find a suitable break point? Because, I mean, the challenge is quite a long challenge. You know, it is, it's, yeah. And the internet one is like an ongoing thing. I really thought they'd just put the reviews here or something. Could have They could have put the reviews here and then come back to the challenge. They could have said, oh, we're going to give them a couple of warm-up laps. Not that they need it. But yeah, really odd place for an ad break. Like in a modern TV show where you might get two ad breaks, it would be normal. But back in the single ad break days... So weird. When they sort of finished up, you know, the first part of the internet challenge, I wrote preemptively in my notes the reviews. And then I was really thrown when Don was like, let's go to our celebrity challenge. And then the ad break came and I was like, oh, wow, like we are motoring through this, if you'll pardon the pun. When we get to the second half, it's like, boom, 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 boom. It's like watching series three again with the amount of stuff they're trying to cram into it. Okay, right. Coming up in part two, we're going to see if Johnny can take Mark. And perhaps even more importantly, can our two net offers find anything interesting on there? Join us in a couple of minutes. What is Grabston Villas? Obviously a tough one. It's a mecca of good taste, clean living and beautiful people where the almost cool know how to have fun. Crapston Villas, tomorrow, 11.15 on 4. There's never been a better time to hurry down to Renault. Because throughout November, we're offering a year's free insurance on every car in the Clio range. But remember, the offer must end on November 30th. So what are you waiting for? Pay a visit to your Renault dealer now. We're expecting you. Someone can help you get just the right present. Granddad, for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I was completely happy with what I was using before. I've been using it for, for years. What makes Always different to conventional towels? The complete difference with Always was the fact that there was, there was no feeling. It was like a feeling of freedom. The Always surface is different from conventional towels, drawing virtually all the liquid into the towel so you feel fresh and dry. All the other people I've told about this, they're using them already. So it seems like I'm the last one to catch on. With Always, all you feel is fresh and dry. Experience the difference. HMV present Blur with their new album, The Great Escape. Yes, 15 new songs including The Universal and the number one single, Country House. The Great Escape, the album of the year from Blur. 10.99 on CD at HMV. Christmas at HMV. It's in the bag. It has the force of a tiger. It has the jaws of a tiger. It slides. Churns. Engulfs. You are at its mercy. Then it sets like concrete. Equinox Avalanche. Sunday at 7 on Channel 4. Johnny Herbert, our two special guests today, about to fight it out on Sega Rally. My co commentator on this is our architect expert, Derek Lynch from Funland. Derek, they're going to have Thank a you. choice of two cars. That's right. The, what's the difference between them? Well, it's a Lancia or a Toyota. Mm -hmm. And the, Lancia, the Toyota is fast on the straights. Yep. And the Lancia is better on the corners. But I think they're going to go for the Toyota. Okay, so speed is the order That's of right, the day for them. Yeah. Any other tips you can give them, Derek? Yeah, so they should watch out for the steering, not to oversteer, because mm -hmm. the cars are very sensitive. Yep. Yeah. And what about And to watch out for the slipstream, because if they're behind, they get into the slipstream, they can take advantage and overtake. Okay, let's yeah. hope they bear Derek's words to mind. Okay, then. One of our favourites of Series 5, Derek Lynch from Funland is back in the booth, because of course he is, he probably supplied the arcade cabinets. I genuinely love seeing Derek Lynch pop up on these episodes. It's just a joy because it's like, you know, you're going to get some good insight and it's actually going to be a fairly straight contest. But, you know, he's not dry, dry. Yeah. But he knows he knows his shit. Well, plus it's, it's it's timely as well because his movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me was on BBC Two just the other day. <laughs> Bad.
Thank you. Well done. <laughs> Although I am worried because my notes, where I was writing in such a hurry, I've written multiple times Dirk Lynch. <laughs> D-E-R-K. Poor old Derek Lynch. Like, he's one of the best things in this whole series. And he comes in here and we're like, David Lynch, Dirk Lynch. Ah, oh, but he's straight in here giving us the facts, giving us the lowdown on the car choices. Toyota, better on the straights. The Lancer, better on the corners. But he reckons he'd go for the Toyota. Ah, oh, I don't know. Because, I mean, you see the way these guys ricochet off the corners. I think I'd have chosen the Lancer. Yeah, I mean, these two lads here. I mean, what I would say, like, this is a great race. This is an awesome, awesome challenge. And this episode needed an awesome challenge like this as well. And it is like they are bouncing all over the show. But more to that, when it does cut to them playing the game, they have got the biggest smiles on their faces. Like Johnny Herbert is enjoying this challenge way more than the challenge he did in Series 2, which was just him playing an Amiga game. Here he's actually in a car and he's got the steering wheel in front of him and he's got the biggest smile on his face as has mark it's and it adds just another level to this challenge i mean it's closer to what he's actually used to i mean you can get into the arguments of like how realistic is this game and you know you'd probably get into the same sort of arguments i sometimes get into people with about like rock band and guitar hero because yeah okay you got a steering wheel but it you you don't quite get the same level of haptic feedback there is some but it's not quite the same the shifter's not quite the same but it's a fair facsimile and also you're literally head to head with a mate you know th- yeah. there is, it, it's sega rally that's the thing why are they having such a fun time luke it's sega rally that's why they're having fun it really makes me want to find an arcade with sega rally in it and just like and play it with a friend like it's so cool like i'm i'm assuming it's at hog right yeah so i say so i'll see you at hog you know <laughs> yeah. the race gets underway and mark just takes such an early lead that we spend most of the time for the first half of the race on johnny's view because of course you want to see the person playing catch up they're going to have the most interesting view and this is where something that i'd mentioned earlier where we don't actually see them kind of playing the game as much as I'd have liked. I'd have liked to have had a few more shots of them playing or some over the shoulders. But Sega Rally, particularly the two-player, it's a big old beast of a machine. Could be quite difficult. But we watch him trying to catch up. Lynch has already given the hint of use a slipstream, and that is being taken to heart. He's trying to use it to get right behind Mark and then just tuck around him on a corner. It is PvP racing at some of the best we've had on Games Master, hands down. It basically ends up being neck and neck at the end of the first lap. Like, you know, Mark has taken an early lead, but then Johnny uses that slipstream to take over. Dom, by the way, is beside himself in this challenge with excitement. He is loving this challenge. I I was just as excited. I was just... The first thing I did when I watched this, normally I let an episode play all the way through and then I go back and do my second pass. I rewound it straight away and rewatched just the challenge just without taking any notes, because I'm like, this is great. I mean, I'm sure there are some people that are going, oh, well, actually, they should have done this. They should have done that. They should have made these different choices. They should, you know, these are two guys having a lot of fun, and it shows in how they play. It's not the tidiest Sega Rally playing. It's probably still slightly better than I'd manage, but it's a lot of fun. And it's not like Mark just tears away and that's it. Johnny catches up. The the catch-up mechanic is in play. Um, We do get some moments, particularly as we get into the second lap, where there's some real short, sharp position changes and they're kind of flipping backwards and forwards. 
it's proper tense stuff. They fly over those hills as well. They hit these mounds and they you can see the car like going vroom, and sort of like veering off to the side and then crashing down with a crunch, then vroom, back up into the air again, swing off to the side. These two are proper flying down these straights. And the neck and neck battle that we get at the end of the first lap happens again at the end of the second lap here, which is, you know, our final lap. And I mean, they lose themselves slightly on the gravel, but man alive, Johnny wins, and I think Dominic Diamond comes. We're coming up to the finish of Langham. That might be some last-ditch effort on the inside. Johnny Because he is just so excited by this, and I've, I loved Dominic throughout this challenge. And it was such a tight race. Mark only lost by one-tenth of a second. Luke, what could possibly be held accountable for that smaller degree of loss? <laughs> I'm trying to get my, my voice back after that. What a challenge, Mark. You lost by one-tenth of a second. That was all that was in it. Where did you lose that vital tenth? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it might have been that first chicane, actually. I think where Johnny blocked me. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I, I sent him in a drought. Yeah. yeah I could never recover. You are wearing a, slight, <laughs> a slightly heavier shirt than Johnny as well. Maybe that was the case. Yeah, Johnny's got the nice ladies' linen blouse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and that was it. It was the added weight. It was slightly working against you at the end. Now, Johnny, obviously, you've won the British Grand Prix. How does that compare to winning on this? No contest. This was absolutely fantastic. And I think it's mainly down to the blouse that I've obviously got that far, far ahead and got that extra tenth of a second. Uh, sometimes, Dom said this last week, he was wearing the wrong cut of trouser for a flight simulator. And here, Mark is wearing the wrong type of shirt for a car simulator. Yeah, Mark's wearing a heavier cotton, and Johnny has gone with, I quote, a lady's linen blouse. It is quite a blousy shirt, isn't it? It's definitely got the nod of a poet to it. <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, I love Johnny talking about, like, it was fantastic. And Johnny, like, absolutely leaning into that as well, being like, it was all down to my blouse. It was very breathy, very airy. Didn't, didn't restrict my movement. Here is what I've really enjoyed about this challenge, other than the fact it was superb. Uh, and I thought that both Johnny and Mark were great as well. Uh, Dirk Lynch, as always, superb. Dominic Diamond in Series 5 has become the... Um, it, is the it is peak cynical Dominic Diamond. He starts off after every show being like, welcome to Games Master. Here is something that I'm supposed to say in an exciting fashion and I'm not. We see him going to places in California and being like, I've already walked into this, and I've already decided that it's shit, and I'm going to tell you that it's shit. And there are times when he does some challenges where he's just like, yeah, I'm Dominic Diamond, and it's cool to be aloof. It's challenges like this where we see the real Dominic Diamond, the guy that loves video games, the guy that loves the competition side of Games Master, and it just sneaks out when he sees a challenge like this, and that is a delight to see. Also an absolute delight to see is Johnny has won, and he is now Johnny Two Sticks. He has two golden joysticks to his name. He does indeed. He joins a, a litany of people that have got two golden joysticks now. Vinny Jones is a two-time winner. I think one of the gladiators is a two-time winner as well. Oh, and some guy called Chrissy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was speaking. I actually haven't said that. I was about to say only celebrities, but hey, Chrissy Two Sticks is probably the biggest celebrity. I mean, certainly the one with the highest profile today. Okay, Gary, earlier on in the show, then you showed us the uh, space shuttle stuff, which was uh, technically very good. But personally speaking, I'm not into the space shuttle. Maybe that's just selfish but it is my show have you got anything a bit more up my street this time gary how about the shaman i like the shaman good this is nematum their website everything you want to know see 
hear and do about them. Here's some video clips from Shaman Pop Videos. Pretty exciting stuff, and you can choose any one of these they've already got. There uh, we go. Now, why is this better than, say, just buying a Shaman video? Because you've got to pay for it, and here it's free. Apart from your, your uh, phone, phone lines. All right, um, this advantage here, it's small, um, slightly blocky, you don't get the whole track. Right. You get stuff on this you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else? Sometimes. Um, Shaman would be doing some of their concerts almost live as they happen on the internet. Right. And also details if they're playing secret gigs, things like that, would you be able to get on this? Absolutely. And I love when we go back to the internet stuff, Dom basically just walking up to Gary and being like, look, mate, that space station stuff you gave me was really, really boring. Have you got anything that's actually interesting to me? And he has got the perfect response to that. The Shaman. Yeah, their website, Nemeton. And look, there's video clips you can download. For free, Ash. Apart from the phone line. I, I thought of you instantly when he said this, because this is your whole free demo disc with a magazine. It's not free. You've got to buy the magazine. And I'm like, this is what Ash keeps saying. Yeah, I know. I'm in tune with 1990s Dominic Diamond. It's... It's free apart from the phone line and the cost of the modem and probably the cost of your subscription. But other than that, it's absolutely free. And if you bought this on VHS, it would be better quality. It would, it would. I mean, you couldn't watch it on your computer, but you could watch it on a TV probably hooked up to a big sound system. If you get yeah. one of those cables to go from the SCART socket over to your mum and dad's stereo, or you'll be Ebenezer Gooding all over that living room sofa. For me, the appeal here is then talking about, and actually it's Dominic Diamond that's feeding him this information because Gary is so focused on the videos and Dominic's like, you can talk about the secret gigs that they also have on the website. And he's like, oh yeah, 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 they also advertise that. It's like, that's the appeal of this. That you cannot get in magazines or in uh, or on VHSs. That's, that's the stuff that makes the internet cool. Yeah, I mean, it does slightly rescue things for Gary, but it's Dom that does the rescuing. Now, Neil, uh, you gave us some Judge Dredd clips, uh, which was fine, but it is quite an old film. Anything more up-to-date, Neil? Well, one of, the, uh, one of the attractions of the internet is free software, free games. So I thought I'd have a look at what LucasArts are doing on their mm -hmm. site. Um, they're offering free software and demos and screenshots. Um, but some of the demos are quite good, and you can download them. And it gives, it's giving you a few uh, previews to what's happening with uh, Rebel Assault 2. Oh, yes. So uh, that should be quite interesting. Again, I would say it was different in this than, say, the uh, discs you would get on the front of a PC magazine that would cover those things. Uh, nothing at all. Apart no. from you can do it from home. Right, and you can pick and choose. And you can pick and choose. Yourself. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, Neil tries to kind of appeal to the gamer in Dominic by going, look, LucasArts. Uh, some screenshots, some demos, latest info on Rebel Assault 2. And Dom's like, well, what's the difference between this and the demo discs on the magazine? Um, no difference other than getting to be a shut-in. It's so weird because, again, I feel like Dom is trying to help these two guys sell the prospect of the internet and why you should try and get it. And what he is doing here, the same with, you know, what he did with Gary, he's saying to Neil here, here's an opportunity for you to tell me why this is better than just buying it in a magazine. And Neil's response is, no, they're the same. Yeah, they're the same. You, you get <laughs> to pick exactly and choose. Yeah, you get to yeah. pick and choose. You don't end up with demos of stuff you don't want, but you also need hard drive space, whereas the demo discs or demo CDs, they're there. You don't have to store them and then install them. And I think that uh, that argument there of they're basically the same is kind of what we're going to hear from Dom later on in this episode, where his final thoughts on is the internet full of CAC versus just buying a magazine in the stores. But that's now actually now the end of the challenge. We are going to come back to us and discover our winner, but we've only seen two bits of pieces that they found each. 
out of the five, but we're going to just see the rest of it after we have our feature and reviews. First up, the sequel to the only platform game ever that was funny, Earthworm Jim 2 on the Mega Drive. Okay, Earthworm Jim is back again. This time around, though, there are passwords to collect on the levels. You don't get them until you've completed a level, but at least you don't have to go all the way back to the start of the game. The levels are bigger. There's more to do on them, there's more puzzles to solve, and there's more sub-games to complete. Earthworm Jim 2 is full of variety, it's full of originality, and it's full of interest. With every level, you open a new can of worms. Try this and you'll be hooked. Do you know what, Ash? I, we talked about this on the podcast a lot already. I loved Earthworm Jim. I got it for my birthday in the year that it came out, which is you know, a couple of years ago at this point in our timeline, and I was obsessed with it. I loved the cartoon. I watched all of it on VHS, and I just thought it was the funniest thing, and I absolutely loved it. I never got Earthworm Jim 2. I remember reading about it in a magazine when I was on a holiday in Spain. Like, you know, you're at the airport and your mum said, oh, you can buy a magazine to take with you. And I bought a gaming magazine that had Earthworm Jim 2 on the cover and being really excited that there's going to be a sequel. But I never got it. And I only actually played it in the last couple of years. I mean, well, you can play it on your Evercade because it is, I think, on one of the Interplay collections. You're absolutely right. It's on Interplay Collection 2 along with Ash. Clay Fighter 2 Judgment Clay. Man, there's a reason to buy and there's a reason to leave. And Claymates. Stand by my first statement. But also the adventures of Rad Gravity. Man, talk about like a who's who of who cares from Games Master. <laughs> it's a who's who of IPs that died. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, I only played Earthworm Jim 2 for the first time in a couple of years ago. I think I do prefer the first one, but I, I like the innovation that they bring with this one. It gives them new mechanics and stuff, brings in snot from the cartoon. Uh, there's, there's some stuff I do like about Earthworm Jim 2, but I, I think I do prefer the first one. The first one is, I think, it, it's a better game. Well, no. Is it a better game? No, but it feels fresh. It feels different. Whereas Earthworm Jim 2 is more of the same. It's still really good, but it yeah. is more of the same. But it does, Luke, it does give us level passwords. <laughs> Look at Dave Perry trying to sell that as a massive, like, what a big selling point for this passwords something that's been in games for years at this point like the point you made there where it's like you know the it felt fresh with the first game is kind of what happened with earthworm gym 2 because there were ports for this on the playstation and i think the saturn as well and the kind of criticism at the time was that these don't feel like next gen games these feel like 16-bit games that have just been thrust upon to this 32-bit console and you know that's we get this in a review next week as well with uh, the golden axe fighting game that these this idea of 2d platformers 2d fighters they are relics of the past in our timeline that's you know in this fun and funky 3d world but um much like the original this game was originally developed for the mega drive was ported to the super nintendo uh you're absolutely right there was a playstation and a saturn version which were i think based on the mega drive version they had slightly better graphics they had the cd sound that was also used on the ms dos version but other than that they were completely identical but luke guess what what's that on a 1994 conference held on CompuServe, David Perry stated they were considering making a version of the game for the Atari Jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave that one where it lies. But, he okay, here's a question, though. 
would it have been better than the GBA port, which was absolutely shocking. You're right. Now, the uh, the other ports, the PlayStation and Saturn ports, were ones done by a third-party studio. So was the Game Boy Advanced version. It was done by Super Empire Inc., a Russian studio, which will put a wide berth around politically at the moment. But it was based on the SNES release, so you were having a port of a port of a port. It was going around the houses a bit. It was a game that I'd heard of. Like, I'd, you know, I'm pretty sure I've seen a YouTube video on it. It might have been Stop Skeletons from Fighting or something talking about ports. And they were talking about, like, how bad of a port it was. And I had played Earthworm Jim by this point. So I was like, well, I am interested in this. So I found myself a copy of it and I played it. And, oh, boy, it is bad. It is a terrible, terrible port of the game. But this Mega Drive version here gets 94%, a very, very good score for this game. It's a shame we don't have Adrian Price on the show anymore, because if we remember back in Series 4 when they reviewed Earthworm Jim, he was he said then, I'm sure I won't like Earthworm Jim 2 because it will suffer from sequelitis. And I'd have liked to have known what Adrian thought of this. But Luke, Earthworm Jim may not have come out for the Atari Jaguar, but guess what did? Sorry, I was miles away there. Uh, this is Rayman on the Saturn, and it's quite good. Very, very original and very tricky. Rayman is definitely a next-generation game. It's probably the hardest platform game available on the Saturn at the moment. The nice thing is there's a good learning curve as you go through the levels. They get tougher, but you're given special tricks and powers that enable you to beat up the baddies and get even further. It is a very good game. It lasts for absolutely ages, and it looks like playing a cartoon. Yeah, we've got Rayman here, Dave calling this a true next-gen platformer because it, you know, it's got like some 3D uh, elements to it. It looks a lot more like Donkey Kong Country than obviously the cartoony style of Earthworm Jim 2. And 93%, that is a really, really solid score. And we didn't do the magazine portion of this episode earlier because, Ash, I believe it's also reviewed in Games Master magazine. It absolutely is. And... I just kind of want to touch what they said in the kind of Saturn review. I'm really happy that both Dave and Rick don't kind of get too hung up on the fact that it's not 3D. This is especially meaningful given what they do to a Saturn beat-em-up next week. Yeah. But here they are like, it's proof that next generation doesn't have to be 3D. It's very original. It's like playing a cartoon. It's got a good learning curve. But I, they are big up on this game, and justifiably so, because Rayman... You know, we briefly talked about franchises that went away to die. Rayman is still kind of with us via Legends and, of course, the Rabbids, who will never go away. They're far too annoying. They are Crazy Frog in video game form. But I was overjoyed to see it here and for it to get 93%. Now, the Saturn version is the version we see here. But in Games Master Magazine, in what I believe will be our last week with this issue, they review the version for the Atari Jaguar. Oh, okay. Now that is interesting. Nice to see an Atari Jaguar review in the magazine at this point as well. I don't know what's more shocking, a Mega Drive review on the TV show or an Atari Jaguar review in the magazine. But the review starts, at the moment, the Jag is like an old black and white movie star. At the end of every review, it's left suspended above the bottomless pit of extinction, screaming, help! Who will rescue it? Reviewers ask. Will Mortal Kombat 3 or AVP 2 save it from certain doom? No. Nope. There follows a general mumbling about, well, maybe next month, if you're lucky. The truth is that Jag owners are lucky this month. Help is at hand in the form of a rather unlikely lad with a strange haircut and even stranger dress sense. He's the star of what is the rarest of things, a good Jaguar game. Yes, you heard me right. Rayman on the Jaguar is good. Not average or weak or pathetic or even second rate, but really good. 
don't be put off by the fact that this is a 2D platformer, not some amazing new drive-em-up or Doom-inspired effort. This has all the elements of a good game. It's playable. Pick it up and not only will you have an instant idea of what to do as you jump about, but you'll also pick up other abilities, such as punching, hanging and flying. Secondly, it's original. Okay, maybe not that original gameplay-wise, but the graphics and sound are beautifully engineered with some great themed levels and ways of getting about. Lastly, it's tough. Sure, you can whiz through the early levels, but to finish the game you'll have to return and find all the items you couldn't reach without all of your special abilities. Some of the set pieces are excellent, like the swamp stage where you have to grow your own platforms as you go to escape the rising water level. There's a lot more in this game than you'll see at first glance, with swinging pendulums, floating plums, mm-hmm. moving on, secret bonus stages and all sorts of strange creatures to thump or befriend. It's the attention to detail on both characters and scenery that give Rayman its charmingly odd looks. What's even better is that some of this attention has been spent on making the game play a little more intelligently than your average platformer. So can Rayman really save the Jag single-handedly? It's a pretty tall order for a small sprite without any arms or legs, but at the moment, the Jaguar can do with all the help it can get. Must be like the last hurrah for it at this point as well. I, I, I think it's certainly probably one of the last good reviews that the Jaguar will get. I mean, one of the only good reviews the Jaguar will get. But Luke... It's that time again. Christmas Day. Okay. Graphics. Excellent characters and some great levels full of colour and animation. Soothing stuff. 94. 92. (laughs) I nearly said 92. Hey, you were close. You were close, man. Chill. Breathe. Mountain stream. Sounds. As it's on cart, not CD, these suffer a bit. Still, there are some nice enough tunes and FX. 89. 83. (laughs) Ah, man. Gameplay. The Jag is crying out for games of this quality. We want more games as playable as this. 92. 91. Oh, Oh, so close. That was close. That was a close one. Lifespan. You'll be playing this for ages. If Rayman was battery-powered, he'd need Duracell. Uh, 93. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Yes! Who was the reviewer? Pete. Eat my crisps, Pete. 93. That'll do me. (laughs) That sounds very much like an aggressive tweet. Eat my crisps, Pete93. <laughs> Overall, to be this good has taken the Jaguar ages. Sure, Doom was great. <laughs> Poor old Sega there. Like, <laughs> there could have been a good Sega pun. Uh, sure, Doom was great, but how long ago was that? Finally, another Jag game worth with looks, depth and long-term playability. A must-buy. Okay, so I'm just going to recap. So it was uh, 9283... Yeah, 91. Quite a dunk. Yeah. Okay, so 92, 83, 91, 93. Yeah. Split the difference. Oh, man. I'm, I'm between 92 and 91. But what do I say? I could, I could tell you it is one of those. Oh, that's made it worse. <laughs> good, good, good. This is how I fucking failed Wordle this morning. Um, 91. Bang on the button. Yes! Last gasp for the Jaguar, and the first time you have actually got any of them right, ever. Finally, the Jaguar has done something good in my life. (laughs) Hey, it propped that door open pretty well for a good long amount of time. And I think my dentist has one. (laughs) Finally, the only chance of a British bloke or lady ever winning Wimbledon. Power serve on the PlayStation. Power Serve looks like being the UK's first next-generation tennis game, and there have been a lot of very good tennis games recently on the 16-bit market, so Power Serve's got a lot to live up to. It has got some interesting features. For instance, it's got a two-player split-screen mode, and you can change the camera angles for each of the players playing. 
Also, the characters are very well detailed and they're very nicely rendered. Games have to stand up on their playability. And just because something is next generation doesn't mean you have to make it 3D and forget all about the gameplay. I think this is a very brave attempt, but it'll be surpassed very, very soon. At least I hope it will. Now, there's not a huge amount to say about this review here of Power Serve on the PlayStation. You know, it's a two-player game. It's got split-screen mode. That's good. I do like Dave here talking about the fact that it just because it's next-gen doesn't have to be 3D and all of that sort of stuff, which is actually a really interesting point because, for me, the the greatest tennis game on the PlayStation is Anna Kornikova's Smash Court Tennis, which is awesome, and it's not a 3D game like this is. But what I actually appreciate about this review is it's a review we don't really have a lot of in Series 5, which is just an okay game. We have so many, like, 96, 97, 98 scores, or, you know, last week with End of Fun, 51% in this. It's very rare that we get, like, a 76 percenter. Yeah, I, we, we've talked before that maybe 70 to 80%, it might be worth a look. But one other thing that's unusual for Games Master in Series 5 is... Rick and Dave have been on the same page for pretty much all of these games, including Power Serve. You know, they do say that there are some good points to the game, but it doesn't matter how good a game looks, it's all about the gameplay. And even though it's a good attempt, it'll be surpassed very soon, or at least he hopes it will. It does go to show that this, combined with the Rayman review, means they're not being fooled completely by 3D graphics, or at least not this week. Next week, I, I have issues. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think Dave is... And, you know, I, I've written in my notes here, good point, Dave, um, which, you know, I don't like to write down in my notes, but I do think he's got a good point here. And I think he has a Dave, good point next week as well. Well, that's an, I think Dave of the two is the one that isn't just uh, taken in by fancy 3D graphics. He's talking about, you know, you need to focus on the gameplay as well. I think he's really fair in next week's review. But they are both really fair here. 76%, as you said, and realistically, there ain't much I've got to say about this game either. We're here in Seattle for the World Doom Championships. It's very, very cold and there's a very naff stage thing going on behind me. Thankfully, we're not that concerned with that. What we are going to do is follow the progress of a couple of British guys who have taken part. 50,000 entrants have been whittled down to 24 finalists who've gathered here at the Windows 95 launch to decide who will quite literally win the competition. Standing between the Brits and victory, several unattractive Americans with funny names. Point man from the Dallas server. D-man, San Diego. Rage, Oakland. David McCandless, UK. I sat down with the guys before the competition to find out their life story, hopes, aspirations, and stuff. Well, I entered the uh, UK tournament with the bite, you know, no big goals, just went to have a laugh, and that's my attitude here as well. So, uh -huh. if it goes as well as it went then, I'll be the winner. Uh, I, I want to get through the first round. I want to get knocked out in the second round, and then I can have a drink. Now, here is a really cool feature, and one that I would have liked to have seen a bit more of um, in terms of seeing some of the actual competitive fights that they got on this and the competitive battles. This is the Doom Championships. It's, it's for the Windows 95 launch, but the Games Master focus on this is less on Windows 95 and more on the Doom side of things because, well, it's Doom and Doom rules. Uh, but I do like the conceit of this feature, which is that we're only going to follow the British guys in this tournament, and once they're out, we no longer care. Yeah, it, it's a very, very Dom section. But yeah, I, I love the way this opens of Dom just going, yeah, I'm in Seattle, it's cold, there's a pillar on stage behind me doing some bad kind of stand-up jokes. We had 50,000 entrants that originally were kind of like trying to qualify for this Doom Championship, whittled it down to 24 who are now there, and 
yeah, we get to meet some of the contestants with names like Foyman, I think that's what it was, from Dallas, D-Man from San Diego, Rage from Oakland, and Dave. Yeah, it's just Dave and Andre. They're not on board for all of this call sign nonsense that we got with Magic Edge last week uh, and are getting again here this week. And like Andre is funny, really, because like Andre talks about how that he entered this tournament with like, eh, I just entered the tournament, didn't really have uh, much in the way of plans for it. I just I entered and I did all right. And then it comes to Dave and he's just like, I actually would really like to be knocked out in the second round so I can just leave here and go and have a drink. Now, Dave is an interesting one, almost a bit of a ringer because this is David McCandles or McCandless. I'm not quite sure on the pronunciation, but what I, what I am sure of is he was writing for magazines like Your Sinclair and PC Zone in the, from the 1980s into the 1990s. He also worked for The Guardian and Wired magazine and is the founder of a blog called Information is Beautiful, which is all about graphs and infographics. And it is really, really cool to look at. And he's actually had a book published of the same name. Um, his work has been showcased in things like the Museum of Modern Art in New York, the Wellcome Trust Gallery in London and at the Tate Britain. So from someone that does throw his toys out of the pram a little bit towards the end of this feature to a respected journalist slash artist slash statistician. Because I've been to events like this in the past, press events like this in the past. I actually mentioned, I think it was on the episode or I might have talked about it off mic with Ketchup and Mustard, who were, I can't remember if it was in the episode or yeah, if it was did off mic. It. I think it left it in. Yeah, and it, he, they were providing the commentary for a press event, the press launch for Injustice 2, and I was part of the tournament there. But, you know, I, I actually, I, I did all right. I got through to the quarterfinals, I think, before being knocked out. And so that, that's kind of like what we are here, and that's probably why David is there here to probably, you know, cover the event, the launch of Windows 95, and then take part in this Doom Championships. And I love that he is just there being like, oh, yeah, I'll probably get knocked out in the second round. I'm going to have a drink. But when it actually comes around to it, it's like, I do want to win because he proper does throw his toys out the pram when his match gets scrapped because of technical difficulties. Yeah, sound issues, which is his opponent couldn't hear the sound. Dave points out he couldn't hear the sound either. And the sound may not have been working, but you know what was working, Luke? The bleep button. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Why don't we, why don't, we're going to start at the beginning of this because there's no sound. I think we should start with Doom 2, 2 again as well. I don't have sound on that either. Yeah. No, we had sound on that one. Oh, I didn't hear Easy, Tiger. Unfortunately, the Yank made the most of David's loss of composure. And before you could say, Americans are cheats, it was all over. You don't hear swearing like this. It's like an episode of Under Consultation at one point. And... Andre does a lot better. He's taking his chances against Doom Dude and walks away 10-1, 10-6 and 2-1 to Andre. He kicked American bottom. And I notice he only confirms that when he's looked over his shoulder to make sure that his opponent isn't behind him. He's like, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I kicked <laughs> yeah, his ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did really well, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, well, what I'd have liked to have seen, because we see a bit of Andre's challenge. I say his challenge. We see a couple of like Andre's matches, you know, and Dom talking about how he took first blood and you know, hiding their emotions. I'd have liked to have seen more of the actual gameplay itself. But, you know, they aren't there to film it as a playing tournament. They're just sort of filming over someone's shoulder. They'd also have to get permission as well. Exactly, and yeah. it, it's, it's kind it's, of, it's an awkward it's one. It's not why they were there. I mean, they were probably also invited there for the Windows 95 thing, but they just wanted to focus on the Doom aspects. Don't blame them. But, um... Dom does go up to David's American opponent and says, well, David thinks you cheated. And the American's like, well, he had just as good a chance of beating me the second time round, which is true. Like, it, 
you know, it, it, it's fair. Like, if they neither of them had sound in the first round, then if both of them had sound in the second attempt, equal amount of chances. But he's like, everything was screwed up that first time, including, adds Mr Diamond, this kid's attempt to grow a moustache. Harsh, but also accurate. All Britain's hopes of sticking one up, the Americans now rested with Andre. But in round two, things were looking decidedly iffy. Hands up. Talk us through, Andre, what happened there? Well, um, you know, it's not my usual settings, and it's a bit, it's a foreign country and all that. Yeah. It's a good player. Yeah, wish him luck. Well, well done anyway. Andre, all the best for you. All right, Cheers. Uh, OK, so for now on, the game was just played by Americans in the great British tradition. We have lost quite early on, so uh, basically we can skip now forward right to the end. And the winner was an American bloke. And if it's any consolation, the bloke who beat Andre went on to win the whole tournament, and I bet he's never had a girlfriend in his life. So Andre is our only hope here, and then he loses. And as I said earlier, I love uh, Dom's line here of in typical British fashion, now that we're out of it, we don't care. And the bloke who won probably doesn't have a girlfriend anyway. Yeah, that guy that beat him actually went on to win the entire tournament and was called Dennis Fong, a.k.a. Thresh. He's um, an American businessman, retired esports player. He's co-founder of Xfire, which was an IM and social networking site for gamers, which was acquired by Viacom for $102 million in April 2006. Not and also bad. Co also co-founded Lithium Technologies, a social customer relationship management company. Mate, I think he had a girlfriend. I think he had many girlfriends, and he has more money than you, me, and Mr. Diamond put together. But did you say, what did you say his name was Thresh? Thresh. His online name was Thresh. He began playing Doom in 1993 at age 16 and chose the pseudonym Threshold of Pain, which referred to the ability to withstand enemy fire and suffering. But many games had an eight-character ID limit, so he shortened it to Thresh and liked the word's meaning of to strike repeatedly. I mean, it's, it's a, that's a proper thrill-ho uh, scenario there. But I mean, I only wanted to bring up Thresh because he sounds like a character from Skitchin. Skitchin! Well done. It is 2022 going on 1995 and you're still getting Skitchin in there. I haven't had a Skitchin reference in probably like a full series of this show. I don't think I've got anything in series four, so I wanted to bring it back. Our Soften the Net experiment has finished. We've got all the sites that Gary Neil have managed to download. We've compiled them all into the hard drive. Now, Neil, we've already had the Judge Dredd clips and... What do we have for you? And the LucasArts. And the LucasArts, right, okay. We've got three more things from you then. What have you got? Okay, well, I heard you're a big Kylie fan, so... I, I went do out, like Kylie. I went out to see if I can as find some nice pictures. As long as she doesn't singing, I don't know. That's right. I just think, uh, I think this, this photo shows what some of the people on the internet are like. Top Kylie picture action there. Yeah. Now, uh, can, you, can you print this stuff out so you can print out in colour, put it on, on your wall or your ceiling or anything? Um, if that's what you wanted to do, of course uh -huh. you could. Um, I'll tell you how to do it later. Nothing wrong with it. Very healthy. Okay, what's your next one? Okay, well, um, one of my pet hates is football. I can't stand it, but there are a lot of people out there that actually like it. Like myself? Uh, the internet's a great way of uh, finding out what's going on. Um, this is a, a, quite a new site that's gone up to show the Premier fixtures and results. Uh -huh. um, it also allows you to give some feedback. So you can give feedback to the people that run the sites, tell them what you think is going right. on within football. So it's the equivalent of having an argument in the pub? It's exactly really. the same as having an argument in the pub. And if people don't know who you are, they don't need to know who you are. Yeah, and you don't get your head kicked in if they disagree. It, it's harder for them to kick your head in. Yeah. Okay, and finally then? I thought I'd take advantage of the ICN here again yep. and download a Bjork, a Bjork video. Um, and here it is. Quite small though, isn't it, on the screen? You can blow it up, but it goes slower. Okay. 
So in fact, that's not actually that impressive, I'd have to say. It's like watching a postage stamp moving. It is. Well, let's find out who the winner of our Is the Internet Actually Full of CAC Challenge? And Neil has realized the secret to this challenge, which is to appeal to what Dominic Diamond likes. And what Dominic Diamond likes is official fit birds like Kylie Minogue. Yep, he shows him a rather fetching picture of Kylie, which he will apparently print out and possibly laminate for him later. And it's not just Kylie that he's interested in, he also likes football. Neil can't stand it himself, but he's a smart guy. He knows that Dom likes it. So he's found a way for Dom to interact with other football fans and have a pop at them like he's down the pub. But with the added benefit of they don't know who you are, so there's less chance of having your head kicked in. Ah, the keyboard warriors starting their life early. But he does slightly stumble at the end here by picking out that Bjork video because, yeah, you can make it bigger, but it then starts playing slower. And Tom's like, it's like watching a postage stamp move. And Neil's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah it totally is. Set up for multimedia, his Mac was. Okay, well, uh, that's all your clips, Neil. Thank you very much. We'll go on to Gary's now. Now, Gary, we have already seen from you the uh, NASA space shuttle stuff, which is fascinating, if you like that kind of thing, and some stuff on the Shaman. Now, we've got three more clips from you. Okay, right. The first one is the X-Files official homepage. Oh, dear. I hate the X-Files. Everyone's really into it. I think it's all a bit kind of... It's slightly geeky, Gary, I think. And I don't think Scully's nearly as attractive as I don't think so. You've got to be intelligent to appreciate the X-Files, Dom. Okay. Was that a dig there, Gary? Uh, yes, it was. Okay, Dom. fair enough. I'll let you have one. Thank you. Right. All the information you need to know about this and all the episodes that haven't yet been shown in the UK. Right. Keep us posted. Okay, what else have you got? Okay. MCA Universal. They have quite a big website. It's called mm -hmm. Cyberwalk. Um... Everything you want to know about Universal, their products, films, videos. Uh -huh. And here are the films that they've currently got out at the moment. So this is, this is very similar to Neil's Buena Vista page that you had the Judge Dredd trailer on? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Just like click on a, on a picture here uh -huh. and you see a movie. So if it. you can't be bothered buying like a movie magazine, then this is great. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, it's pretty Yeah, this is more pointless. up to date as well. Oh, it's more up to date. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And finally, you have... Okay, we have uh, Sony's PlayStation homepage. Okay, and it lists all the different fighting games currently available mm. and forthcoming. Can you actually play them, though? Can you download them no. and play them on your PC? Almost, almost. Here's a Toshinden. Uh, right, and let's see a little clip of that in action. It is running very, very smoothly. But like I say, you are just kind of watching it. It's like watching two cartoon characters have a fight, which is, I mean, it's great for a while, guy. It's, it's, it's fine. Gary, 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 what a failure. You're like falling at the third hurdle here. Yeah, because what's he got to wear Mr. Diamond with? It's the official X-Files homepage. And you may as well have just flashed a big old error sign up at the kind of like the family fortunes <laughs> kind of thing. It's just like, no, Dom hates the X-Files. He doesn't like it. He doesn't think Scully is that attractive. And Gary decides the best approach in this is to insult Dom by saying you've got to be intelligent to appreciate the X-Files. It's like fucking Rick and Morty many years later. Dom does go, was that a dig? And Gary's like, yeah, it was. And Dom's like, oh, okay, I'll let you, you, you get one for free. Uh, we well, then to Go ahead. He then tries, you know, tries to appeal to the film fan within Dominic Diamond by showing him Universal Cyberwalk that's got details on all their new movies, including Babe, which I did go to the pictures to see. And Waterworld, which we've already discussed in a fair amount of detail last episode. And you'd think that this last ditch effort to win the Golden Joystick would bag him this, which is the official Sony PlayStation homepage. 
And the only reason this does not work for Mr. Diamond is because there aren't demos to download. Not that you would expect there be demos to download on the PC, but Dominic Diamond is just unimpressed that there aren't demos. No, and especially in the light of we are either at or soon to be at the official PlayStation magazine, which, Luke, what does it come with every month? A free demo disc. It doesn't cost you a single penny. No, magazines are fucking rip-off, though. <laughs> but you get your demos. I mean, the PlayStation infamously came with that demo one. We talked about it in the launch special. Uh, but yeah, you can't play the games, but you can look at some pictures and watch some videos. So, in summary, Dom did like Gary's Shaman clip but didn't really give two tosses about anything else. Whereas Neil had Bjork, football, and Kylie. So kind of wins by default, the two sweetest words in the English language. Yeah, I mean, literally just is Dom going like, uh, probably Neil. Neil wins. It, it is like watching someone judge a race where both competitors fell over, and it's just like, well, you fell earlier. So well done to the other bloke. It's almost like watching Greg uh, judge Taskmaster at times. <laughs> it's like no one actually succeeded, but you just fucked up less. Yeah, that's a really good comparison to this. This is proper Taskmaster, this. answer that question, is the internet full of crack? I would have to say I've seen very little today that I feel you couldn't get from a magazine though but what do i know i'm just a fantastically well-paid television celebrity and we did talk about this earlier that that's kind of what the internet was at this point there are message boards but it isn't like what the internet is now this is very much like i remember the first website i ever went to was capcom's official website and then the reason i went to that website is because it was written on the booklets for X-Men versus Street Fighter on the PlayStation. I can't remember what the first website I went to was, but at this time, I would have been getting access at lunchtimes via the school computer because we were quite early and getting an ISDN line, I think. I'm sure the person listening who went to school with me will be going, well, actually, or maybe can't remember at all either. But I already had started to get exposure to the internet, and I know I was filling up floppy disks with things like scripts and, and pictures probably from the X-Files. Yeah, I, w I was already falling well into the internet but at the time it seemed amazing looking back and i'm just like woofed it's amazing i didn't give up computers completely and just take up gardening you can see why you know I, I think people tend to make fun of those sort of articles that you know at the time were like is the internet a fad is this just the next new shiny thing that we're all going to get bored of quite quickly and we can look at those now and be like isn't that silly because I mean, we're doing this podcast on the internet and it's posted to the internet. People are using the internet to download it. We've got a Discord server on the internet which people are using to discuss it. Like the internet kind of controls a lot of our lives and is a massive part of our lives. But yeah, <laughs> I ordered all the parts of our Patreon pack on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I bought trading cards on the internet. I buy my postage for those Patreon packs on the internet. I will be downloading clips for this via the internet. But at the time, it really was just a collection of magazine stuff, really you know, pictures and this, that and the other, details of, of bits and bobs, but they're, it's not the information superhighway that it was going to become. No, it's more the kind of like the, the trivia B-road at this point. It'll take you through a village, maybe there'll be a corner shop, you can get a Cornetto, but it's nothing going to wow you. Right, that's just about it then for today's show. Just remember, life is like a Formula One Grand Prix motor race. It's fast, it's furious, it's exciting, but if you don't take frequent pit stops, Murray Walker will taunt you at the end. Bye-bye. Tom's final line that we've got here is the oddest one that we've had thus far, because previously I would say they have made some semblance of sense. 
But this one, he's just like, yeah, if you don't have regular pit stops, Murray Walker will taunt you. He just did that. He would just like turn up outside people's houses and going, you're working too hard. Stop it. But that'll do us for episode nine of series five. Uh, I'll ask you first, Ash, what did you make of the episodes? Oh, you know, much like Formula One, Luke, it's a game of two halves. Um, I, I liked the news to a degree. I really liked the reviews particularly because it was nice to see the acknowledgement that 3D graphics aren't everything. And it also gave us that, I really like the Doom feature. I really, really enjoyed it because that is a snapshot in time. That is early esports. And I loved the Sega Rally Championship. The internet challenge was interesting because I guess it lets us look at the internet in 1995 without any kind of modern kind of distortions of what the internet was like in that early time it very much wrenches the rose tinted glasses off your face and goes no look it was a bit poo and for that i'm kind of grateful and it was interesting and we had some fun times discussing it and also looking at the mac versus pc but i it says a lot where we're watching these episodes we're reviewing these episodes and i'm like oh i remember that i remember that oh i remember that oh yeah that happened none of the internet challenge like lodged in my head not the x-files not kylie not the shaman not nasa and i all of it when i watched it for this podcast it was like watching for the first time again like sega rally i think i remembered bits of the doom challenge like land gaming i'm pretty sure like they, they tickled memory cells but the internet challenge didn't register and watching it back for this i can understand why there was nothing really that exciting and you could argue that there was an editorial power there because they called the challenge is the internet cack they were going into it with a preconception but i'm not sure that preconception was that wrong at that time if the internet was not mainstream in 1995 the the internet challenge here is i yeah i don't like as a snapshot is wonderful and I, I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that it's great to be able to see the internet being shown in such a way without any modern day distortion over the top of it. That I completely agree with, and I love it for that. But it's not an episode I'm going to go back and rewatch. It's not a challenge I'm going to go back and rewatch. It's not a challenge. And it's the, I, I made the comparison earlier to Baby Rom, and we've got one coming up in a few weeks where the EastEnders cast build PCs and the, the, the Lee and Herring stuff that we get. But it's, it's, it's not what I want from Games Master. This isn't what I want from Games Master. I want to see more stuff like the Sega Rally Challenge, the Puzzle Bobble Challenge we had a few weeks back, the Time Crisis Challenge that we had. Sorry, sorry, the Virtual Cop Challenge, not Time Crisis. That's the sort of stuff I want to see from Games Master. It's not this. So I appreciate it from a certain aspect, but also it's not, I, I didn't love it. and I It could have been a feature. That's exactly it. It could have been a feature. It's not a challenge. And what I want from this show are the challenges. Some of the other stuff in this episode is great. I thought the news were, had some interesting bits. That Doom feature was awesome. But the internet challenge is a large bulk of this, and it really does drag it down for me. What do you think in percentage-wise? So here, I mean, we always said that 75% is the recommend. And... So I've got to be around that point there. And I'm basically toying with where I fall either side of that margin. Because the internet stuff, not recommend. But that Sega Rally challenge, I would say people should go out their way to see it. So maybe I am just going to sit directly at 75%. With the, with the caveat that it's the Sega Rally championship and the Doom feature you should go out your way to see. I was at 76 because basically I recommend everything about this episode except the internet full of cack challenge. Uh, but I think 
for the reviews, for the news, for the Doom feature, for the Sega Rally, it's worth sitting through the internet CAC and also maybe just a sobering reminder of what the internet used to be like. Not what we think it was like, but what it used to be like. Well, that's all we've got time for on this edition of the show. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console and... You can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to talk with us in real time, talk with other listeners, other fans of retro pop culture and gaming, you can join our Discord, where the current topic of conversation is Castlevania, because people have been listening to our last episode, people have been finding out about the review we spoke about for Dracula X on the SNES, and basically all agreeing it was a bit crap. Not a good game, that, unfortunately. It's actually on the Advanced Collection, which I, and I am going to play it again just out of curiosity because I haven't played it in so long. Um, if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the five pound level. And at the ten pound level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Oh, they get our version 2.0 Patreon supporters pack, which includes our beautiful glittery golden mug, which I've sent, I guess, almost a dozen of out already. And guess what, Luke? No fires. No one's microwaved it yet. Very happy you know, to hear that. Also, you get stickers, you get badges, some of which have been revised for version 2.0, and you get retro sweeties and retro Fox Kids trading cards, which thank you to Patreon backer Harriet for actually opening the packs and sending a picture of what's inside, because I only just got enough for the, like the first batch of 25 uh, version 2 Patreon packs. So I didn't get to open any and see what was inside. Not like with the Power Rangers where I just got a big old box of them. And they look really, really good. Like there's some beautiful artwork from the Tick in there. There's stuff from um, this stuff from the Spider-Man, X-Men. We got Kingpin, Mary Jane, Eek the Cat, J. Jonah Jameson. All beautiful kind of like line art cell animation. It's a really, really quality looking trading card i'm quite happy with those and a shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom simon sean retro fun for everyone reese paul nick misha matty boom mark link kevin jamie ian harriet's manga girl gordon dempster gordon brands david palmer david fisher darkside 73 cliff chrissy two sticks arcadia wild bill andy andrew cummings and adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for episode 10 of Series 5. Take care, everyone. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm